Welcome to the Major Line. I'm your host, Heath Meadows. Hope everybody's had a great week heading into the weekend. It's a Friday as I record this. We are heading into the AFC NFC championship games to determine who's playing in the Super Bowl. So I'm pretty excited about that, rooting for the Bengals and Joe Burrow. I'm hoping that they come out of Arrowhead Stadium against the Kansas City Chiefs triumphant. But that's a tall task, even though they have beaten them. Man, it always makes me nervous when everybody's picking them to win and then you got all the memes out there and saying and bragging about it. And I'm like, man, it always happens before somebody, like, I just wish everybody keep their mouth shut because always all the opposite always happens. And I'm really rooting for 49ers as well to beat the Philadelphia Eagles because back in the 80s when I was growing up, the Bengals and the 49ers played in the Super Bowl together. And Joe Montana was the quarterback and Icky Woods was the running, the Icky Shuffle, if any of you remember that during that time and that just would be kind of nostalgic for me so but who knows if that'll happen or not wish the team's the best and safety and all that that no one gets hurt and everybody has a good game and and we enjoy it as in fellowship with the lord as well so i had just read an article on this pagan statue that was erected in new york city courthouse and it kind of ties into an article that i read last week as well And I just wanted to share some of that stuff with you guys. This pagan statue was erected in the New York City courthouse, and it's a tribute to Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the fight for abortion rights for women. And this statue is very, very strange looking. It is a woman that has huge ram horns coming out of her head. She has no arms. Instead of arms, she has tentacles. And these tentacles are coming out where her arms are supposed to be. And then they make a loop and go back inside her body. It's really, really strange. It has something to do with these abortion right activists and paganism, which I'm glad now that, you know, everybody calls Christians, especially some of the, you know, our spirit-empowered Christians weirdos because we're pointing to the spiritual side of this and saying, hey, there's some kind of entity and demonic entity behind this stuff. And really, all you have to do is wait and look, and somebody from the movement will actually prove you right. And this is very obvious that, you know, there are pagan gods. These gods are demonic, fallen divine beings, whatever you want to talk, however you want to look at it, whatever your your point of view is on that. I hold the Deuteronomy 32 worldview that Dr. Michael Heiser explains really well, that basically God gave the nations at the Tower of Babel over to divine beings that for some reason or other decided that they weren't going to listen to God and wanted man to worship them. And uh, Satan became the head. And, you know, you've got these divine beings that really explain all the mythology behind gods and goddesses in different cultures. It's really interesting if you want to dive into it. It's a cool study if you're into that kind of thing. But regardless, these are demonic entities that lead people astray, Baal and all these other ones that come from the Mesopotamian area. I mean, there's no reason to have these statues of pagan gods from like Baal and all these other ones or Baal, however you want to pronounce it. In, In the United States, it's not our cultural heritage, and yet they are here. And we see the arch and all these different things being promoted. And this goes along with an article I read last week where young people were talking high schoolers in early 20s are flocking to the new age occult and witchcraft and paganism. Paganism is on the rise like never before. What concerns me with this is that this isn't something like in Paul's day where 
if you read the book of Ephesus and you study that book and you learn the context and the background and why Paul uses such heavenly spiritual language, you'll discover that Ephesus was a hub of witchcraft and um, paganism. It is a city that was just steeped in this paganism, witchcraft, magical arts. Clinton Arnold does a great study on this. He wrote, he's wrote several books concerning Ephesus and Colossians, and it's really worth reading because it gives you an idea of why Paul uses a little bit of different language than he does in these other books in Ephesians and Colossians. They're sister letters, and it's, it's a good study. You need to know that, and I think it applies for us today because you know, Paul knew these people were very spiritually minded. They're, they were searching for power. They were searching for something. And uh, because we all are, even if we don't know God, we're searching for something. And Paul is laying out these, even the things you think in Ephesians that are not like spiritual talk, in the context of the day, they were. The people of Ephesus would know when they read that letter, what Paul was talking about, they would know exactly who he was talking about and the gods and goddesses and the principalities, powers and all that stuff, they would know. And it's really important as Christians that we understand the context because see, these things come back around where history repeats itself. And now America is looking at becoming a pagan nation. And as we do that as Christians, we need to dive into right now, Ephesians and Colossians. This is a prophetic word for you. Ephesians and Colossians are the most are the most important books American Christians right now should read. Now, if you're in Great Britain, I got Great Britain listeners out there. I shout out to y'all. Thanks for listening. Same thing for you because I consider you part of the Western Church. Most of the Western churches, and you know, when you look at the Western Church, we look at Europe all um, from Europe over, so to speak. And uh, you know, you guys are dealing with it as well. So I don't want to exclude any other nation that uh, Christians are dealing with this kind of thing. And it, it's happening across the globe and, and obviously in all parts of the world where Christians are finding themselves from being the predominant religion to now not the predominant religion and another religion or paganism or some other thing taking over. And the concerning thing with that is you now have a culture Unlike Paul's day where the he went into Ephesus and they had never heard the name of Jesus. It was a new frontier. You know, he was pioneering the work. But America and many of, of our young people, many of the of our even adults of older age, we've been inoculated to the gospel. And what I mean by that, it's it's the same as you go get a, a flu shot, right? There's a little bit of the flu in that shot that helps your body create antibodies that resist the flu when it comes in there. And so what's happened in American society is everybody's been given and, and watered down gospel. And so it is like the flu shot. You know, it's like you go in, you get a watered down version of the gospel that helps inoculate you from the real gospel. When someone is preaching that you can sin and it's okay because grace covers you and don't worry about sinning and just continue to do it and you can blab it and grab it and it's all about what you can have now and, you know, this magical thinking kind of thing where you can declare and decree a thing and it comes to pass 
which is taking a passage of scripture in Job out of context. You have a watered down gospel that does not talk about self-sacrifice. Self, it talks about self-serving. It doesn't talk about serving your neighbor. It talks about what you can get for yourself by using the name of Jesus as a magical wand, like in a Harry Potter movie. And what we have now is, is an inoculation against the real gospel. So when someone comes along and starts preaching, pick up your cross daily, die to yourself, follow him, give him everything, everything's his, they reject that message because they have the antibodies of a false gospel working within there. I'm telling you, that's good preaching there. They have the antibodies of a false gospel working within their system. And it's a scary thing if you think about it, because a lot of these people are deceived and are going to hell, and, there's, and, and some of them will never adhere to what the real gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and, and many of us have been in that position where we've, we've, we've been into some of this faith, word of faith movement and things that just continually to progress. If you follow them, they end up in, in complete heresy. And, you know, I, I pray for Kenneth Copeland that he would repent and come back. But some of the things that he says, some of the things that Jesse Duplantis has said in the last couple of weeks, have, they're outright heretical, and people are still listening to them. I don't care if they're funny. I don't care if your mom listened to them. They have left the building. They are no longer Orthodox. They are no longer Christian. They're teaching something different. And we need to stay away from those preachers, and they need to be called out, not so we can be heretic hunters, so that maybe if enough people gather together and call them out like in Paul's day. See, Paul had no problem turning people over to Satan and had no problem excommunicating people because he didn't do it out of the spirit of hate. He didn't do it out of the spirit of anger. He did it out of the spirit of love because he knew if enough people did that, that there was a better chance of them repenting and coming back to Jesus than it was if they just kind of ignored him and let them do their thing. Don't forget that Jesus commends a church in Revelation for testing false apostles, right? And finding out they were false. So we, we have to be careful. I don't want to get into heretic hunting, but when, my goodness, guys, when somebody is clearly, clearly not teaching biblical doctrine not they're against the orthodox of the church which is just look up the Nicene creed that's that's exactly what we should believe as christians when they're teaching against that there we have to stand up and say no it's our responsibility to govern ourselves well read first and second corinthians paul outlines this really really good anyway i digress so the concern, again, is we're heading into this paganism thing. Create kids, and especially in high school and young adults, are heading headlong into this. And we have to begin to ask ourselves why. Because this is not a pagan culture, and all of a sudden Christianity is being introduced. This is a culture that's been very free and very open to the gospel, and Christianity has prospered in this nation, and there's a church on every street corner, and yet we have a flock to paganism. Now, socialists and anthropologists will probably go different routes. I'm, I'm not getting into that. I will tell you 
my reasoning why I think this is happening. It's because some of them went to church and they have been and they have left wanting. They have went into a church and realized this is shallow. This is nothing but a simple little show with somebody that can sing really good and looks nice in skinny jeans or yoga pants, and we're up there singing a nice little song. There's no Holy Spirit. There's no power. There's nothing moving. There's no presence of God in the place. And so they have went into church seeking something to fill the void in their life, and they have left wanting. And that's because most of the churches in our in our America today have Ichabod Road on top of the doorpost. The Spirit of the Lord has departed. And so what's, what is needed is a return back to the reality of who is in charge of our services. It is not the pastor. It is not the worship team. It is Jesus Christ. It is his church. We just help steward and facilitate it. That's all we do. It is not our platform. It is not our program. It is his. And when we get back to that, maybe he'll start showing up for church too. Because ain't that the real reason we go to church is to meet Jesus? And if it ain't, if you're going to be entertained, you're going to be eventually just going to, you're going to go to paganism. You're going to be searching somewhere else. So we can point the finger at society. We can point the finger at Hollywood. We can point the finger at, at, you know, the government and all the laws and the corrupt, corrupt on both sides of the aisle. I don't care. There's corrupt. It's corrupt period. It's a, it's a mess. And the, the amount of corruption on both sides is sickening. I think one of these days, I don't know if it's ever going to happen in my lifetime, it may. We're going to find out just how deep our politicians were in this Jeffrey Epstein thing and how much they were involved in the trafficking of young women and, and teenage girls. I, I guarantee you, eventually, if it doesn't come out in this lifetime, my, if you're out there and you're a part of that, I'm going to tell you something right now. You will stand in front of the living God and you will give an account for what you've done and you will be held accountable for what you've done. And you may get away with it in this lifetime. You may kind of slip away into the back cracks in the darkness, but there's coming a light on this earth named Jesus Christ that will shine a light in every crevice and every hole and everything that every, every darkness has tried to hide itself. It will be a exposed and you will stand before the living God of this universe and you will give an account for every deed, everything that you ever spoke, everything that you ever done. And if you do not have the blood of Christ covering you, you will spend an eternity in a devil's hell. Guaranteed. There is no other way to heaven. There's no other way that men might be saved in the name of Jesus. So, what are we to do? Well, we better start turning the finger back on ourselves. We better start looking at, okay, and I'm not talking about getting creative with our programs and how do we, see, that's just it. If you, if you don't have kids or if you do have kids, you'll know that a kid, especially young, the younger they are, the better at, the better they are at this. They will call you out if they think you are fake. And I'm telling and the young kids have the uncanny ability to just, I mean, they just call you out. And if you think programs are going to take the place of his presence, you, I mean, just stay at home. You've, this part of the problem because young people are walking in and all they're getting is programs are not getting his presence. 
and they're not getting sound. And, and again, stop teaching them these cute little stories. Teach them sound doctrine and teach them the ways of God. Show them. You know, I, I don't know if any, I, and I, 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 I know there's some out there, but in my local area, I'm unaware of any youth group that's teaching kids. Actually, I think one, I think Vineyard is, but I'm not 100% sure. But I'm unaware of any youth group that's actually teaching kids a flow in the gifts of the Spirit. When is the last time your youth group came up to the front of the auditorium and offered prophetic words to the congregants? Why, why don't we have that? What, what are we afraid of? I mean, most of them hear clearer from God than, than the adults do. They're, you know, I, I don't know. We, we, we need to relook at everything, and we need to stop pointing the finger at society and start pointing it back at us because we have created a watered-down gospel where we are an inch deep and a mile wide, and, you know, people are just, they just sick of it. We've got people that are at the top because we have pyramidal structures. That's never the way God intended to build his church. It's never been, never been, though we are to lord over people. It's never been the pastor is the CEO and everybody's underneath him. That is not how the church of Jesus Christ was set up. If you don't believe me, read, I think it's Acts 13 in the book of, and and I'm not the book, but the church of Antioch, there was prophets and teachers there. There wasn't a one-man show. There was representation from different parts of the five-fold ministry there leading that church. That was their board. Their board was not made up of popular people in the congregation. It was made up of those that were called into the ministry as either elders or deacons, or it was made up of the fivefold ministry gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Those that right there is your council. That is your board. And if you don't have that, you you're not you're not operating under the biblical pattern. It's really that simple. Now God's allowed that. His grace has allowed us to build these things the way we are. But I'm telling you right now, it's being torn because what has happened is we have shown ourselves unable to handle this kind of pressure and, and responsibility without the other gifts coming alongside case in point hillsong look at that train wreck you've got train wrecks of church everywhere you've got these leaders who amass great platforms and great wealth and they're blowing their wealth on things that just blow my mind they're not living a life of simplicity they're living a life of extravagance while 3.3 billion people still haven't heard the name of christ you've got pastors that buy two thousand dollar pair of shoes or ten thousand dollar suits so really need to think about that for a minute and we wonder why our kids are heading in the wrong direction well they sniff this stuff out they know a fake when they see one they're not stupid and you know most adults are getting sick of it as well I mean, there's there's a movement people are going out of the church and going to home churches because they're sick of the the fluff they're sick of the stupidness and i don't blame them Although, you know, house churches have, have, a, have a purpose and a meaning, we do have to be careful that we do not neglect to meet and to fellowship with one another because it's important. So we need to really take a hard, strong look at who we are, what we're doing, our programs. You know, I've said this before, but it is, is of great concern to me 
I had a dream several years ago. I was in a school bus with some younger adults, and I was teaching them ministry. And as I looked out the door window, there were dark blackbirds flying around. They began to morph into devotic spirits. And I talked to kids off the bus. We each had a sword, and I believe that represented the sword of the spirit. They were very unique, very extravagant. And when you cut off the demon's head, it actually had like this trail of glowing dust. It was really cool. And no, I didn't play a video game. And no, I didn't eat bad stuff before I went to bed. This was a dream of God. There's no doubt in my mind because I had several dealing with witchcraft in this area. And now we see witchcraft just permeate this culture. And God warned a long time ago that this was coming, that there was a witchcraft that was specifically targeting the young people in this nation. I, I prophesied that several years ago, it, and it's, it's come to pass, and we haven't prepared one bit for it. When we look at Acts 16, 16, we start there, and Paul and Silas are walking around, and the slave girl's following them, and it says that she had a spirit of divination. That is a spirit of pythos, and I've taught on this before, but that's the same spirit that was supposedly possessed the oracle at Delphi that gave her the ability to prophesy into, I mean, even Caesar's, emperor's lives. I mean, she that this was a very big deal. And the same spirit apparently inhabited this fortune teller. This was a slave girl. And she was actually not saying what's interesting about this as she followed Paul and Silas, she wasn't saying anything that wasn't true. She says, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she just kept on doing this for many days. And then Paul, it says, having become greatly annoyed. I don't know. Sometimes I think Paul was a little cranky. I don't know. Maybe, maybe just me. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, that What's interesting to me is that there wasn't like an exorcist. That Paul just got annoyed and said, okay, I had enough of this. You need to get out of her. I'm done. And, uh, and so I, I would love to had a little bit more if, if Luke would have added a little bit more to this conversation because it makes you wonder, is that all he said? Is that it? You know? Or why, how did Paul, why did Paul, how did Paul recognize that this was a demonic spirit? Obviously discernment, right? But it wasn't saying anything that wasn't true. So what was, what was going on there that made Paul annoyed? Why, what was going on there? And there's, there's some scholarly work there that we're not going to get into. It could very well be that the most high God, it could have been pointing more to like a Zeus because of the context of where they were at. Regardless of either here or there, this is a spirit of divination, paganism, and witchcraft. And Paul, knowing who he was in Christ, with the authority, because he lived a holy life, was able to command that thing to come out, and it came out. And that's where we need to be. That's where we need to be with people. We need to show them that there is a God in heaven, and he is supreme over all these paganism and all over all this junk that's out there. And when people walk into our churches, they feel the presence of the living God. They feel his power. They feel his love. But they also feel the fear of the Lord, which has left the church, obviously, because if we had the fear of the Lord, we wouldn't be sinning like we do. I mean, we got to.
The Bible says several times it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He is a consuming fire. And, uh, you know, Jesus even says, don't fear someone that can take your life. Fear the one that can throw your soul into everlasting torment. We don't have that in the American church because we've preached to God as a God of love and there ain't no such thing as hell. And he'll never do that because he loves you just the way you are. So you can keep sinning right on and not have to worry about it because grace will cover you. That's the message of the American gospel. And then we wonder why our children and people are running astray and we got met a total mess on our hands because we've been more worried about money, seats in the pew than we have been about honoring God, worshiping God, and being ambassadors of the kingdom of, of, of Jesus Christ than we have been else. That's, that's just the bottom line. We've been more worried about money. We've been worried about seats in the pew and raising our platform and, and, and capturing the American dream than we have been about being ambassadors and representing God well on the earth. So I hope that, you know, at one time or another, this, this will, you know, you, you hope as a podcaster that sometimes these podcasts will find the right people. And those people, it will burn a fire in them. It'll start a fire in their heart. And they'll begin to change things in their church. Or maybe sometimes, you know, Peter Wagner said that it's easier to create new babies than to raise the dead. Sometimes you just got to create a new church. You got to start a new church because the people want to just aren't going to go with, with where you're going. People don't like you. But you hope as a podcaster that somebody somewhere gets this that really can start making, start making a change. But everybody can. It just starts with you. Now, that doesn't mean you go into your church and you you cause a, a mess and you start, you know, back-talking the pastor and you start gossiping and and all that stuff. You don't want to, you know, you know, you don't want to be on the devil's side because that's exactly what you're doing if you're gossiping and and talking behind the pastor's back and all that good stuff. But at the same time, there's a way that you can approach the pastors, there's a way you can approach your leaders in your church and say, hey, you know, we may want to do something different here. What do you think about this? And I honestly believe that, um, I mean, this sounds a little harsh, but there's churches that are dying out there, and I say let them die. God's flushing the system. And if you're not going to get with the program, I don't think you're going to make it. The only way you can make it is to compromise and start allowing things that are contradictory to the Word of God transpire in your church. The only way you're going to make it is you're going to have to pick a side. You're either going to go with the remnant who's following God, you know, with all their heart and obey his commandments, or you're going to be with a harlot church that has to say everything's good. You can be gay and be a clergy. You can be this. You can be that. You have to be a friends of the world. The ones in between that are just kind of lukewarm, they're going to die, and God's going to spit them out, and that's that. So we're seeing right now that's happening in this country right now and around the world. But I see it specifically in the American church where we're seeing a remnant of believers, more churches saying enough's enough. We're chasing after Jesus. We're going after this thing. He's, he is the king and the head of the church, not a man. And they're, and they're chasing after him. And you're seeing the harlot bride rise like never before. You're seeing teachers that are that are just blatantly going against orthodox Christianity and creating a syncretism 
of paganism and paganistic thoughts. And it is everywhere out there. And if you're not careful, you will be deceived in this mess as well. So I hope this message has stirred you. And until we talk again, God bless.